good. Mm. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Love it. Thanks, Relica. Anyway, <laughs> ahoy. Welcome back to Educate Ebony. I'm the Ebony in question. And last episode, I spoke to Brownie from Wall of Sound. And he told me to listen to Beartooth's record, Disgusting. And it was great. Loved it. What a great album. I can definitely see the progression uh, from Disgusting to where they are now. I think they've definitely kept the emotion, definitely kept the rawness. But in Disgusting, it was, it was very, very in-your-face heavy. He was hurting a lot from the sounds of it. And yeah, I can handle emotion uh, on, a, on a good day. <laughs> but wow, that's a very full-on album. So yeah, it was really cool to listen to Brownie's point of view and then listen to the actual album. I feel educated. I feel like a learned woman. Anyway, but I'm ready for the next album. Cool. All right. And for this episode, I'd love to introduce Jack Bergen. You may know him from Void of Vision, where he's the electric and energetic frontman. And he will forever be remembered for that time at Unify 2020, where he climbed the stage scaffolding and screamed their song, Kill All My Friends. That was, that was a good time. How do you feel about that? <laughs> it was. That's a, an iconic build-up you've put for me there. <laughs> um, yeah. No, thank you for that. Yeah. Doing very well. Uh, very wrapped from that intro, actually. <laughs> I can't get over that. <laughs> Look, you had to be there. People who don't know, YouTube it. It's That's up it. there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a lifetime ago now. It's crazy, hey? <laughs> I know, I know. And how are you feeling about being in the educator seat for this chat? Yeah, I, I feel great. Um, I hope I can do it justice. I hope that um, I'm up to the game and, yeah, I'm up to scratch with all my teaching abilities. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, tell me, what's the One Metal album that you think we should listen to? So the one metal album that I've picked isn't necessarily um, a favorite of mine, but it is 100% um, probably like the most historic in my list of metal albums that I love. And that is Korn's first self-titled album, 1994. Yeah. Oh. So it was, um, I'd say probably my favorite from them is probably Issues or Follow the Leader. But um, that one is just, you, you can't look past it because, well, yeah, it was like the creation of new metal. And yeah, I think it's just a very, got a very rich history to it, which I'm super keen to dive into. I mean, uh, I feel bad, but this show is about, or well, this episode is about educating me. I actually have never listened to a Korn album in in full. I've listened to like random songs here and there. I couldn't tell you what they are, but <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's so bad of me, but that's what this is for. So <laughs> that's what I was thinking of doing like, other albums, like I was thinking of doing maybe like a Linkin Park album or I don't know, something a bit more modern, but I thought it was just a bit more, I'll turn this into a history lesson and we'll go like right back in time to, I guess, yeah, the creation of something really special that I know that Void of Vision is definitely heavily influenced by. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, why is this album so great? What makes this album so great? Well, it was basically like, Looking back at putting out something like that in 1994, it's just like insane. So that year was basically 1994, Kurt Cobain passed away and the grunge era kind of started going a bit downhill and mm. bands like Green Day started bringing punk rock to the airwaves and that started getting a bit more popularity. But in between, I guess, alternative forms of metal began to like start coming out of the woodwork and one of them was like the... I know it's like was hated back then and sort of come back into fruition now with new metal and um, Korn was the band who brought it about and I think it's really cool because they combine just all these sorts of different elements of 
everything they loved. Like they were just huge hip hop fans and huge metal fans and just all sorts of stuff, jazz, like the whole shebang. And oh, they just cool. bought it all in. Yeah. They just four dudes who just would rock up to like rehearsal spaces and studios looking so like out of place. Cause they're all just wearing all these out of that trackies and baggy clothing and dreadlocks. Then people would just hear the music that they were putting out and it would just gain instant attention because no one had heard something so like, I guess visceral and hate fueled before in their life. And, um, yeah, I think that's why I chose this album because it's such a um, an energetic performance put onto record, which is something that I know myself and a lot of bands like really aspire to do is just capture whatever you can do live on your record. And I don't think this like album could ever be recreated if it was like attempted. It was just so like personal and pumped full of personality. It's just yeah insanely um moorish i guess yeah i don't know i feel like it's very hard to find something so special like that in the music scene like right now that's cool was this the first album i know nothing about corn was this the first one or yeah so this is the first one they had like one demo that um they managed to get signed off like way back in the day they used to like load uh they they're all from um i think it's bakersfield california or something and um I know they used to load up, they used to just self-promote, load up their tour bus with friends and they'd um, drive it into LA at like all the sort of where you go to play shows and get hopefully noticed by labels and they'd just bring a keg on the bus and get all their friends loaded and like bring them into the show and then <laughs> they'd put on like a really interactive show with the crowd and then I think that's part of the reason they got noticed because they just brought all this wild energy into the performance and yeah, um, that was just off one demo. And then they, I think it's Epic Records, I'm not too sure, but mm. that's when this album came about, yeah. That's huge. When did you first hear it? Yeah, I think I'm a huge slate bloomer to corn, and it was after um, download in, um, I'd like, listen to them like randomly, like you said, like the certain songs, particular tracks, but um, after download in 2000. 18 I think it was on 19 the Melbourne one where they headlined mm. that was where I just like really dove in and just got a good I got a good check at it like I suppose like all my friends have told me to really get into it like over years and explain to me how important and special that band was but I never really realized until I deep dive myself and I think that's what it is for most things like you just need to really tackle it on your own to understand yeah and yeah was it like um love at first sight and you could not stop listening to it or you were like took a few goes how was it for you pretty much I I was like basically just jacking myself up on podcasts and um just listening I got to hear the album and then I'd want to know what went into the creating of that album because like I was looking at the dates of these albums released and it's just so ahead of its time, and I think it's it's you can see how they inspired so many bands like your Deftones and Limp Bizkit and Incubus, even like it was just a creation of this whole new world that bands started to like take so much from. And I think even the producer of that first record went on to work with Limp Bizkit on theirs and Deftones on theirs as well, even Slipknot on like Iowa and stuff. And yeah, it's just created this huge wave of a new range of metal that just hadn't been heard before. Oh, that's so cool. I feel like most of the time when you listen to an album for the first time, like, you know, it's, you know, it's good, but when does it become super important to you? Is it like a while down the track when you actually realize, or is it from the get go when you're like, yeah, this is going to be it for a long time? 
I think there's, I think you're right. I think there's always something in the get go. When you hear an album, you do get like a bit of magic, and I don't know. You, you definitely get something on that first listen every time. But I think once you do start to like really look into what the songs are about and how the songs were created, that's when like an obsession starts to fall. And I think another beautiful thing about this album is how how deeply personal it is. Like I said, it's just um, so strange for such a heavy metal band to put out something so emotional and so just vulnerable out there in a time where like it wasn't necessarily a thing that these dudes in metal bands did. Like nobody was really at that stage talking about like their mental health and being open about it to their fan base. And I think the beginning of that has also influenced so many heavier bands in this day and age because, well, yeah, like everyone sort of really, does their bit now and the stigma is gone and it's just such a talked about thing in our music scene because mm. it's so important and I think to begin that way back when is just so like it's so revolutionary almost like for the metal genre it's yeah it's awesome it definitely is yeah do you think is that like one of the elements that you've brought over into Void Division stuff yeah 100% I think like I basically have always leaned over to make it a bit more personal than um, I've experimented outside of that, but nothing just kind of hit as well because just there's something about being honest on record and it almost contributing to the heaviness in a sense. Yeah. Like it doesn't always necessarily have to be a sonic heavy that you put out there. It can be like a really emotionally heavy sort of thing. And I think once you've imprinted that into a release, it's kind of like an entry in your diary of, life almost like that's always there and it's such a a bold move to make and I I admire it so much that like someone's so open to talk about their feelings like such and yeah oh my god yeah it is definitely like immortalized is there a certain song on the album that you feel like is really powerful there is the final song on the album is just um it's just insane like they they recorded this thing way back um when it was like on an analog recording thing with tape when basically people used to just all stand in the room together and like track together. And as to that, which is also so odd for a metal band that it's not like on a computer and just really heavily edited. And um, yeah, the last song in this record, they let the tape kind of roll out because you get like, you can finish the song, but there still might be like five minutes left to record left on like tape as it's burning out on the reel. And um yeah, he, uh, the last song is called Daddy and it's a super heavy song about um, when he was younger. He um, was it's just about a form of sexual abuse he experienced. I can't particularly remember. I think it was like his babysitter or something in the end, but basically his parents never um, believed anything he said and it was just always with him from there. Like He, he had no real support in that sense. And, and it's been, that being such a heavy song that he, I guess, hadn't really talked about much or had much mm. help with it was almost like a therapy session creating this album for him and um the end of the tape it's just him like you can sort of hear the band finishing up and he's just sobbing in the recording booth and you can hear these like heaving like wails and cries and it's for like five minutes straight and it's difficult to listen to it's seriously like some disturbing stuff and uh it's just insane and I think the band said that they didn't know he was putting it on or not but then he kept going and they're kind of like oh wow like this is yeah some super heavy stuff and speaking of like I guess making the album a therapeutic recording session I'm pretty sure 
the producer's dad was like a famous um, self-help guru almost. So basically he had a, I guess, um, Ross Robinson, the producer's life growing up was just sort of to do with that sort of thing too. So in the studio, he was really good with like vocalists and helping them really express their emotions well. And I think, yeah, it was like yeah, that definitely came, came out in that last <laughs> track. Yeah, big time. <laughs> Damn. I wonder, it makes me wonder what it would have been like to see them perform that song or if they even performed it live because that would have been an emotional wreck. He would have just like have to walk off afterwards and be like, done, that's it. That's it. I was looking up like to see if that existed um, after I heard it for the first time because I'm like, this is just so insane. Like how could they revisit this all the time live and they've only played it once live (laughs) and it was on the 20th anniversary of this album, probably Actually, was it 20 years? Couldn't be 20 years. Um, I can't remember when, but it was like an anniversary of the record. Yeah, they played it once and he got through it. But like, yeah, kudos to the man because that's some difficult stuff to pull off live if you have to revisit stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. I just can't. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it definitely (laughs) seems like you know what you're talking about with this album. You've done a lot of research, spent a lot of hours down the internet, dark hole. (laughs) It's my podcast hours clocking up. I just love, like, listening to people talk about this. I let people do the research (laughs) for me and then they just speak into my (laughs) ear while I'm at work. (laughs) Well, considering that you know a lot about this album and it's always super interesting to, like, dive down deep into, like, the makings, either, like, musically, lyrically or anything else... Do you reckon there's an aspect that people overlook or they don't even realise is there that you really like? I really like that, um, especially for, I guess, talking about influence onto our musicianship. Um, so this album, they utilised um, seven-string guitars and they tuned, like, insanely low. It was, I think it's like drop A or something, which is insanely low for 1994, like, <laughs> and I, I think the only people really using seven strings were Steve Vai and soloists and that sort of stuff, just because you had more strings and more room to work. But they only used it for the the heaviness and like just really like I don't know how to really put it across. But um, yeah, that's that's inspired a lot of bands to this day. The fact that like it's not like they invented the seven string guitar, but the concept of just using it for just heavy really like chugging riffs and yeah it's just something really special that I like to think about that record I don't know I I don't know if the guitarists in my band are actually like that into this album I'll probably chew their ear off about it I I think I've tried to before at least but yeah I think that's something super special about that this record that gets overlooked like not only the invention of like new metal essentially but also of using guitars in such a heavy manner, yeah. That's awesome. Do any of your guitarists have or use seven strings? Yeah, yeah, we all use them live. Is that a regular and... thing? Look at me, I didn't even know. I don't play yeah. guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, think it, I think for heavy music, for our kind of stuff, it is. I know like so bands like us and Alpha Wolf and even like Stonehill and stuff all use the seven strings. And it's just, yeah, it's adds a... I know Thornhill are obviously a bit more musician, have a bit more musicianship involved with their music than say us and Alpha Wolf. Oh no! Uh, but, it's, but yeah, it's um, 
I don't know. It's just such a cool concept to like, I don't know, add that to your music. Cause obviously like we are playing some very low tunings and like heavy music. So it's a very handy yeah. little asset to have that we thank Corn for showing us out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Corn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it stood up how many years? How many years is that? 27? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I reckon I was right with the 20 year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. 27 years. That's, that's wild. It's so crazy to think. And it's, in my opinion, it's so pretty timeless. Like, you can put that on and it's not like, okay, this sounds like it came out in 1994. Like, it's got some pretty decent production on it. And yeah, I think it's stood at the test of time very well. Like, and it just, ushered in this new wave for them too because after this they just kept delving into new new areas and uh, as I said they were huge hip-hop fans and records following this mm. they end up diving into that more influence I think there's like a track of like Ice Cube on it and bloody um, <laughs> the third record yeah it's, it's nuts it's very innovative band it's cool as hell that's cool so after I listen to this album should I listen to another one of theirs like the next one or should I skip a couple of albums because everyone has a dud somewhere that's a bit harsh, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> true. We, we even have one. It's all good. <laughs> um, we, I'd go to, I just need to look up what the order was because maybe it is the next one. Oh, there's a couple in between. Um, I'd go to um, Follow the Leader, yeah. That's the record that that Freak on a Leash song is on and I think that gained them a lot more commercial attention and that's, a, that's the other thing about this debut album, like, they didn't do like outstandingly well back then. I think they did maybe midway on the Billboard 200, like it was, which is still amazing, but for a heavier band to do back then. But yeah, it wasn't, I think that year, like maybe Pantera got number one, which is also pretty huge for a metal band. Yeah, it wasn't a big commercial success, but it made them kind of like a little cult following that just stuck with them for years. And <laughs> just to have that at your base, like just I guess a fan base that it sticks with you forever is just that grows with you as you do is just so cool because once you stick those original people they'll be the ones they're the day one that'll stick forever and I think that's such an important thing for bands to do as well sort of just hold on to those day oneers and they've managed to do that so kudos to them yeah amazing oh so good to add anything anything any last yeah. minute listening notes for me do I need to like listen to it in the dark and like full on the whole thing and then listen to it again or <laughs> what do you recommend you need to listen to a track called shoots and ladders it's midway on the record and basically as i said when they all did it live in a room together they incorporated bagpipes in the start <laughs> but they started jo- jonathan davis the vocalist on the top of this hill outside the studio and they clicked play and he was basically just mar- they set up mics out microphones outside and he started marching down the hill playing the bagpipe and basically that's the intro of the song and you can hear hear the birds outside and everything and then he just walks in the band starts playing he drops it gets his headphones like starts setting up and then they just kick into the song all live it's just insanely just never done before sort of stuff what the heck (laughs) wow yeah that's mad (laughs) Oh, all right, noted. Well, <laughs> there we have it. The one metal album that Jack from Void Division thinks you and I should listen to is Korn's self-titled album. Thanks so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it with all this knowledge bouncing around in my head. It's going to be great. 
Uh, I'm glad I paid off. No, thank you for having me. It was fun just getting to spill my brains on it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always a good time to like gush about a really great album that you love. Like, it's the best thing ever. Absolutely. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's so much fun. Got the wine. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd I thought I'd treat myself. 